Well, my name is Nate, and I'd like to welcome you here to Restoration. I hope I'm the 17th person that greeted you this morning. I, ho- I hope there's tons of people in front of me that had the opportunity to, to greet you, to, to share with you what the Lord has done in their life this week. Before we get started here through our series in the, in the book of Timothy, I do need to issue an apology uh, specifically to Mike. Mike, I'm sorry, buddy. I should have known. Every time that I have to speak, something crazy happens the week before. I should have avoided from including you in my vortex there of, of weirdness. Uh, I apologize, buddy. No, we are really thankful to the Lord. Um, if you see, the, that's the aftermath of the, the day after of what could have been a really scary story. And instead, it is a, it's a glorious story of how the Lord... Uh, protected us. Uh, there's a promise in his word that says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we use that verse a lot of times as kind of a, a little reference to, to for salvation, for sharing the gospel. But the truth is that it's not specific to that. And we cried out to the Lord. We said, Lord Jesus, save us. And and he did. And uh, we are thankful to him. And I, I think, I don't know what it's like, at, Mike, at your work, but at my work, everybody was saying, okay, now tell me about this. How did this happen? It was an opportunity to share the gospel and share how good God is. And so we're, we're thankful to him for that. Moving right along. We are in the book of Timothy. We've been going through a series called that we've titled Fight Club. And the idea of understanding what it is to be a spiritual warrior, what it is to fight in this life, this Christian life, and what it is that God has called us to. We have talked about how what salvation is. We've talked about the, the requirements or, or the roles of different people in the church. We talked about prayer. If you remember, uh, Pastor Kevin asked us to, to, to be thinking of, of praying as men, praying with our hands lifted high in need and recognition of who the Lord is and at the same time with one hand on our families recognizing that, that they need the Lord as well. And, uh, and that was a great challenge to us. Um, we talked about what leadership is and the need for leadership. And last week, as he was closing up, just in the last few, in the last verse, really, of chapter 3, um, it begins kind of this thought process about what godliness is. In fact, if we were to divide the whole uh, section, if we jump into 1 Timothy chapter 3, that last verse, all the way through chapter 4, there's four things that we kind of, we can divide that entire section up. And number one would be, the mystery of godliness. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the enemies of godliness. We're going to talk about the practice of godliness. And we're going to talk about the consequences of godliness. So those are the four things that we're going to see. Um, So keep your eyes alert. Keep your mind focused, looking for that. We're challenged in the book of Peter to prepare our minds for action. And I hope that you will do that with me today as we dig into the Word. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll read from Timothy. Father, we thank you this morning for your Word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you that you have included us into your household. And we thank you that in this household, you're the head, and you have given us all certain responsibilities, and we can carry those out. And we ask this morning, Father, that your Word would flow freely and that we would listen to and respond to in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so the four things that we're going to see uh, are, what did I say? The mystery, enemies, practice, and consequences. Good job. Great. We're done. I'll, uh, <laughs> when we talk about the mystery, well, let's take a look here. First Timothy, we'll start at chapter 3, verse 16. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus Christ, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. How many of you guys have ever written a letter? I have to ask this because letters don't get written very much anymore. But Okay, a very long email. Have you ever written the email and then you go, okay, this is chapter 2 of my email. No, right? I mean, you're just writing. And it could be a very long one. Same deal here. You know that. And so these, these chapter divisions can sometimes be a little awkward. He keeps going with the thought, though, of what godliness is. So he says, now, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. But, not but, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing... You will save both yourself and your hearers. That's God's word for us today. Um, I probably should have said this before, but if you need a Bible, we do have some Bibles in the back. If you raise your hand, somebody will give one to you. Um, We are glad to let you have it, let you keep it. And uh, anyway, you can take it home. Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh. That is the mystery of... Of godliness. This isn't some deep, dark secret that we have to go on a treasure hunt to find. What we're saying by this is that this is something so incredible that God has revealed. And it is mind-boggling. And people didn't get it. People didn't understand it. People wanted to know it. Wanted to understand it. And here we have something that has been revealed to us in this incredible way. Jesus Christ is manifest in the flesh. That is to say, He physically was born 
in a physical world. He was real flesh and blood. If, he would, if, he, if you had been there and he was born, you would have wanted to pinch his cheeks. That's how real. Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh, was born. He lived a regular, normal, everyday life. He ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner most of the time when he wasn't fasting. He lived a normal life. Then he died an incredibly gruesome, painful death. All of these things are to highlight that Jesus Christ was flesh and blood. He was here on earth with us. And it says he was vindicated by the Spirit. His resurrection was proof that he was exactly who he said he is. And the Spirit could say, yes, that's our guy. Jesus Christ, physically born, was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. He says he was seen by angels. Can you imagine what the angels were thinking the day Jesus rose from the grave? Do you think they were surprised? Or were they, you know, cheering on a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, that's our God. There's some excitement there. And not only were the angels witness to it, but then it says he was proclaimed among the nations. And it started with that first person that came running up. And she wanted to finish dressing the body. And the angels are there. And she comes, she freaks out because Jesus isn't there. And she runs back to the disciples. The disciples all come back. The tomb is empty. He's risen. And from there on, you see through the book of Acts, you see more and more people are hearing this gospel. People are coming from all over the world. And they're hearing this message that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, buried, rose again. Jesus Christ was believed on in the world, and then he was taken up into glory. This wasn't some secret thing. This wasn't some, you know, I'm going to sneak out the back door. When he ascended into glory, there was tons of witnesses there to see who he was. This mystery of godliness is this. The mystery of godliness is that we, you and I, can rest 100%, fully, completely, and unequivocally, on the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ. The salvation that he offers to you and I and he has offered and we have accepted is one of full confidence in who he is and what he has done. That's the mystery. The fact that the work was his. Not mine. Not yours. Not some combination, not some hybrid. His work. Completed, done, finished. Then we go on in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, now the Spirit expressly says. What what Paul here is saying is, this isn't new information. I would like to show you exhibit A. Look at the children of Israel. God descends on the mountain. They freak out. Oh my, we can't. This is too much for us. This, is, this holiness is too great. We need somebody to speak for us. And then Moses goes and then they, they say, Everything that the Lord says to do, we will do. So Moses goes up and says, Okay, Lord, what is it you want us to do? And while he's there taking notes, they're worshiping an idol. What happened? 20 minutes ago, you were saying everything the Lord 
What happened? As, as humans, fallen, sinful humans, our hearts are easily distracted. Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter Seven. Let's see if I got that right. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen. Somebody want to look that up for me? Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen, and just read it out really loud. Audience participation moment here. Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen. We play the Jeopardy theme song. Got it? Okay, here we go. Yeah, that's fine. Beware of false prophets that are going to come in to you, but inside they're, they're actually ravenous wolves. Jesus predicted this. This is no surprise. And so Paul says, hey, Timothy... Guess what? The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Fact. Some will depart from the faith. That's just a fact. Question. Will you? He says... They will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. They're going to listen to deceitful spirits. They're going to listen to the teaching of demons. And they're going to listen to the lies and the hypocrisy of other people. Uh, a couple nights ago, maybe two, maybe two weeks ago, I don't remember exactly. Josh and Anna Luisa and I were craving just a snack. So we drove downtown to the most popular joint in downtown Yakima, the new McDonald's. And we got a shamrock shake apiece, right? And while we're sitting there and we're enjoying our snack, I think the kids got to watch this really cool documentary on CNN about Jonestown. Remember that? So do you think, when it's all started, do you think he walked around in L.A. and said, Hey, I'd like to invite you. We're going to go to another country. I'm going to serve you some Kool-Aid, and you're going to die. Do you think that started like that? No. No, it sounded really good. He had a good message. He was excited. He was, he was probably very charismatic. And, and there was something very appealing about what he had to say. And people came and listened. And little by little, they got deceived. And before they knew it, they were drinking the Kool-Aid. And so, Paul here says, Timothy, watch out. There's going to be people who will be liars, who are hypocrites, who, who are preaching the gospel of demons. Be careful. Watch out. These are enemies of the gospel. These are enemies of godliness. Why are they enemies of godliness? Well, because as they present these doctrines, there's always a common thread. And the common thread is, yeah, Jesus did a lot for you. He suffered a lot. But, you know, the 
really need to do your part. And then it's fill in the blank. Maybe it's forbidding to eat certain foods. Or maybe it's forbidding to get married. Or, or, or some form of, of self-denial. And then the message of the gospel becomes skewed. And it is no longer resting completely on the completed work of Christ. Now it is the gospel plus X. The gospel plus Y. So Paul says, watch out. Look for these guys. Here's the interesting part. If you will go with me to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to try to. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Kind of similar subject matter. See, there was, this, there was this culture, there was this idea, even back then, that somehow, all things spiritual, good. All things physical, bad. And therefore, if we just reject everything physical, then we will be good. Paul says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to all things, sorry, referring to things all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Who created the world? Did it just happen? God created the world. Is the world a physical place? Is the world a physical place? God created a physical world. God made it. And you know what he said about it? He said it was good. And God sent his son Jesus as a physical person to this physical world to carry out his plan. Guess what? Physical evil spiritual good is not a biblical doctrine how many times have we heard maybe well we shouldn't eat that or you know how many how many things do you have let's 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 get rid of all these things can they be idols absolutely can they get in the way of my worship of the lord absolutely but getting rid of them just to say i got rid of them now i'm more spiritual that's a false doctrine and it's not what the bible teaches so Here we have Paul reminding Timothy that bondage to a life of external practices rather than the freedom to worship in gratitude is an enemy of godliness. Let's say that again. Bondage to a life of external practices rather than the freedom to worship in gratitude is an enemy of godliness. See, God created all of these things. And His intention is, if you use what it is, For its intended purpose, it's a good thing. Food, when used for its intended purpose, is a good thing. Now, do some of us need to diet? Probably. 
But it's not a reflection of our spirituality. It's a reflection of self-control and maturity and all of those other things. Marriage. Is marriage an evil thing? No. God made it. God designed it. He planned for it. So, a sexual relationship within the bonds of marriage is exactly what God had intended. And, guess what? It's a good thing. So, when those things as God has given them, when we receive them with thanksgiving and we say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this food that we're about to eat. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for... Then, it's an opportunity to praise the one, to worship the one who has saved us. We talk about how God didn't need to make humans. He could have made robots. I'll do you one better. God could have made you and I without taste buds. But he didn't. Because he wants us to delight in those things which he has created. Salvation and spirituality are to be found not in fleeing or avoiding the material realm, but rather by sanctifying it. And that's what Paul is calling us to do there. Thank you, Lord. This is yours. How can I honor you with it? Whatever it is, fill in the blank. If you think that by fasting from this or by not giving myself, uh, fulfilling my desire to eat or whatever. You, if you think that God is somehow honored by that and you ignore the whole aspect of thanksgiving, of recognizing who he is, it's, it's a waste of time. That's the truth. It's a waste of time. So we have here the mystery of godliness is complete rest in God's completed work through his son Jesus. The enemy of godliness is a lack of dependence or, or, or ignoring or rejecting that work and trying to replace it with my own or at least complement it. That's the mystery of the gospel. That's the enemy of the gospel, of godliness, sorry. The practice of godliness. What does godliness look like? Paul, before he got saved, was a pretty zealous Maybe we should say defender of the faith. When I say that term, defender of the faith, do any images come to your mind? Do you think back through history and that title, defender of the faith? Who comes to mind? Crusade? First picture that comes to my mind is of a very overweight Englishman with a funny hat that's standing like this. He was a defender of the faith until he needed a new wife, Henry VIII. Then he lost his title defender of the faith from the Catholic Church, so then he created the Anglican Church and he got it back. The idea that, that, that to contend for the faith is somehow, we're going to go to war, I'm going to have a sword, and I'm going to go call everybody out, and I'm going to set them straight, and I'm going to... And I'm gonna, and I... Paul here says, Timothy... If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say zealously go after them, harangue them until they repent, change their minds, convince them otherwise, because 
It isn't your work, and it isn't my work, and it wasn't Timothy's work. It is Jesus' work. Our responsibility is to say, here's what I know. I rest on the complete work of Jesus Christ. That's what I know. How does that fit with what God's Word says? Oh, it, it doesn't seem quite to fit. Maybe you should think about that. That's between you and the Lord. So many times we get all aggressive and we strap on our armor and we want to go, we want to become inquisitors. Paul doesn't give that instruction. He says the best way to serve the body, the best way to be a servant of God, point these things out. I struggle a lot during this time of year. As you know, I grew up in Mexico, a staunch Catholic tradition, and I emphasize tradition, to the exclusion of any other organization, a rejection completely of any evangelical church or anything like that. There is all of these things that get tied up into what what it means to be godly. So this time of year is Lent. And I get so bent out of shape because it makes me uncomfortable that somebody might think that if I don't eat meat on Wednesdays and Fridays, that somehow that makes me more spiritual than you. And so I I just get all... And I want to go out there and set everybody straight. You know, if I go to the restaurant, I order steak. You know, and if I see somebody post on Facebook, I just want to go, no, no. The truth is, here's an opportunity for you to worship the Lord. And if you can do that at Thanksgiving, recognizing I'm, I am going to celebrate this season to honor God, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But if you think that somehow you're earning some points, you're playing the wrong game. And God's word here says, Nate, don't go out there and try to order steak. Don't go out there and try to twist people's arm. Don't go. Just point it out. And it's an opportunity for each one of us to do business one-on-one with God. And say, am I listening to false doctrine or am I following God's word? He goes on and says, have... Uh, Well, he says, to be trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine. In other words, get close to God's word. Get close to good doctrine. Get close to people who teach God's word and teach good doctrine. But how do I know? Well, it means that you have to spend time in his word. And as far as the false prophets and the false doctrine, the truth is that the Bible tells us you will know them by their fruit. Eventually, the Jim Jones of the world will show their cards for who they really are. And you compare their teaching and their behavior to the truth of God's word, and then you say, that's not somebody I want to spend time with. He continues on and says, avoid silly fables. Don't engage. Don't write blogs. Don't write books about it. I mean, he doesn't tell you not to, but he says, just don't, just avoid them. They're unnecessary. That time that you spent arguing, you could spend 
digging into God's Word and getting ready to prepare yourself, to discipline yourself for those people who do want to receive, who do want to listen. And so, he goes on from there. Rather, train your body, train yourself for godliness. While bodily exercise is of little value, he's not saying it's not valuable, it's of little value. Training in God's Word, being spiritually prepared, is good for all things. How do we train ourselves for for action? How do we train ourselves for battle? We, We spend time in God's Word. I had a friend come over not too long ago, and we were talking about wanting to grow. And I said, I'm sorry, I I don't have the new five steps. I'm sorry, I don't have something cool, little gadget, little wristband. The only way to grow is to spend more time in God's Word, to spend more time with God's people, and to spend more time in God's presence. That's all I got. And when you look at the Scriptures... That's what we hear time and again. Spend more time with Him, more time with His people, more time with His Word. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. Rather than, I'm not going to eat this, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to do this on these days. And He says, why don't you spend that time disciplining yourself in the spiritual disciplines. We had the series on spiritual disciplines, remember that? Spending time in God's Word, spending time in prayer, worshiping Him, growing in Him. The practice of godliness looks rather boring. I got to do this. Nevertheless, it is a, a life that allows us to have freedom in who Christ is. We're exercising our reliance our dependence on His completed work and saying, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I serve your body? What is it that you have to teach me today? And we have to dig in. He says to point out the enemies of godliness. He says to avoid avoid rather than engage. He says to work out. Practice scenarios. When we were sliding and we were at about, what is that, 30 degrees right before we were to go over. Mike, can tell you, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, Lord Jesus, save us. Why? Because that was some magic word that I knew would bring this genie out of a bottle and pop us up. No, because I have full confidence in who Jesus Christ is. And I knew that I could rest in Him. And so I call out His name. And you know what? He saved us. He saved all of us. That wasn't because... That wasn't because of what I said. That was because of who He is. But as we exercise ourselves to prepare ourselves for those moments, when the time comes, then we're ready. Right? We're ready to share the gospel. We're ready to, 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 to point out false doctrine. We're ready to point out how we can grow. All of those things, we have to be ready. Work out. To be free from bondage. He calls us to discipline. Interesting, 
he says, don't let your youth get in the way. And I'm, I'm, usually we use that verse. That, that's for high schoolers, right? Like when you're in high school or younger, that's your verse. And then when you grow up, then you don't need it anymore. I don't know. I, rumor has it that you never really outgrow eighth grade. I'm still working on seventh. Um, the truth is that it is easy to step back and say, I'm not big enough for this. I'm not big enough for this problem. I'm not big enough for this challenge. I'm not big enough for this calling. I'm, let somebody else do it. And so Paul is saying, no, Timothy, you step up. Step up, step in. You have been called. You have been given a ministry. You have a gift. Use it. And I'd say the same thing to you. It's easy to sit back and let, hey, let's let Kevin handle that, right? We need to step up. We need to get in and say, how can I serve the body? How can I be used? How can I exercise the gift that I have been given? And in so doing, we are practicing godliness. So the practice of godliness is all of that and full confidence in who Christ is and what he's given us to do. And I was sharing a quote with uh, uh, somebody earlier today, but true humility is knowing your place and filling it. If your place is here and you're not there, there's a vacuum. That means somebody else is going to have to work harder to fill your space or something's going to be left unattended. If you've been called, you've been given the responsibility, it's time to grow up, it's time to man up, it's time to step into your space. And that's what, that's what godliness is. That seems odd, you know, because, oh, we want to be humble. That's not humility. It could be a lot of things, but it's not humility. And then lastly, he says, be an example. He says, let people watch your life, see what you're doing, and recognize there's somebody who trusts Jesus. That's not the same thing as saying there's somebody who's got it all together. If you're looking for somebody who got it all together, you came to the wrong place. And wherever you go, it'll be the same story. But the truth is that when we rest confidently in the complete work of Christ, as things come up, somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, brother, I noticed this and this and this, you know. And in, in my life, it usually revolves around... My, my relationship with my wife because I tend to be need to be knocked upside the head fairly often. Um, and I've had different people in my life, including a very uncomfortable conversation with a high schooler who told me, you should treat your wife better. How's that? And instead of saying, you little punk, what do you got to you know, what does the Bible say? Well, you know what the Bible says? I'm to treat my wife like Christ treats the church. I certainly am not doing that. Lord, help me. And it's an opportunity, resting on the complete word of Christ, to go to the cross and say, there's sin here. I need forgiveness. I need your grace. And that blood of Jesus covers all of that. And he begins to work in our lives. That's what he's saying. Be an example. Sometimes it's a good example. Sometimes it's a bad example. In both cases, pointing to the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, the mystery of godliness revolves around the completed work of Jesus Christ. The enemy of godliness is anything that would compete with the completed work of Jesus Christ. The practice of godliness is living in light of the completed work of Jesus Christ. And the consequence 
We see the consequence at the very end of the chapter. He says, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There you have it. He just contradicted everything he just said. See, you can save yourself. No, that's not what he's doing. What he's saying is, by practicing this, you demonstrate the reality that you are saved. And not only do you go, yes, I am saved. I recognize it. I see the Lord's work in my life. Other people see it. And not only that, it gives you an opportunity, an open door to be able to say, and you can too. We're not talking about selling soap here. We're not talking about some wonderful vacuum cleaner that if you just pay five monthly payments. We're talking about something that is infinitely more important than anything you could imagine. The reality is that only you know where you are in that gamma of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're really close to him. Maybe you're really far away. I don't know where you are. I see your face. You see my face. We all see each other here. But look, God knows your heart. And the question is, have you trusted in the completed, full, finished work of Jesus Christ? That is to say, are you willing to see that, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I am an enemy of God. Yes, I have rejected Him in my behavior and in my attitudes, in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions. Everything about me has rejected Him. But I recognize that the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross allows me to have full access to Him by depositing my trust, my faith, my confidence in Him. Have you done that? If not, maybe today is that day. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you have given your life to the Lord and and you really are sincere about wanting to follow Him. But in the process, you've kind of gotten mixed up and you've misunderstood some signals and you've you now you've borrowed a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you really want to do your part. And so you think that somehow, if only I'm good enough, if only I live up to His expectations, then then maybe he'll save me. I'd invite you to submit that, subject that to the truth of who God is, to the truth of his word, to reject it, and again, to rest confidently in the completed work of Christ. I don't know where you are. I hope you know where you are. And as we invite the worship team to come up and we respond to this message and we worship this wonderful God who has so freely given us all of this grace, I hope that you can respond to this. And you say, Lord, I delight. I am thankful. I am grateful for the work that you have done. I want to live a life of godliness. It's not a life of Bondage, not a life of slavery, but rather a life that shows results. The consequence of godliness is, in my life, I know I'm saved, and I hope that I can bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the impact of it. We ask, Father, that this morning you would touch our hearts. That we would be sensitive to your guidance. And that we we would respond to it in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name.